It's Tuesday, September 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me, it's not Monday, but it's the start of the week at Market <laughs> Foolery. So it's Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Howdy, howdy. How's everything going? Going all right. Hope uh, all the dozens of listeners had a good Labor Day weekend. Uh, yeah. Shana Tova to all those celebrating Rosh Hashanah. We are going to talk allocation strategy, but first, we're going to do something we have not done in a while. Longtime listeners will remember this. It's a little thing we like to call yes, no, maybe so. Three stocks. One is a yes, one is a no, and one stock is sitting right there on the fence. And we're going to get through all three of them. And let's start with the yes stock, Elastic, ticker symbol ESTC. This is, if I understand it correctly, because I, I know you've mentioned it a couple of times, software as a service, but it's built around search. Um, Elastic is about a $15 billion company in terms of market cap. Why does this look like a a yes to you right now? Yeah, um, well, I mean, you know know how I feel about Cloudflare. I think I've I've been pretty clear about that on these shows. And I'm I'm starting to feel that way about Elastic, too. And and remember, Elastic develops software and services that enable users to, to search through structured and unstructured data for all sorts of consumer and enterprise applications. And so the thing, the thing is, when you say, oh, Elastic's in the business of search, and immediately, and rightly so, your mind should, should go to uh, a little company called Google, right? I mean, there, there is this search engine called Google that uh, does pretty darn well in, in the search industry. Um, the interesting thing about Elastic, as I mentioned, the the enterprise application, App, Elastic's customers are companies, they're businesses, right? They're focused on helping enterprises uh, utilize data and search in order to make better decisions, ultimately. And so, and so they have a very focused uh, customer base and therefore market opportunity. And, and we've seen uh, efforts from from companies, including Google, including Alphabet, uh, to try to gain some traction in the space. And, and they really haven't uh, they they really haven't made too much progress. Now I, I attribute that partly to, to uh, the ongoing success of Elastic, but the technology that they've built. Uh, ultimately, is is working very well. Ninety three percent of their revenue is tied to subscriptions, and, and as the customers get larger, as their companies, as their comp- customers get larger, so so does their relationship with Elastic. And and just to put some context around that, uh, more than forty five percent of customers with at least one million dollars in annual contract value subscribe to all three of Elastic's. Core solutions, and so I, I think that certainly indicates uh, not only some strong network effects at play there for the business, but ultimately that they're doing something well, and ultimately that can result in, in higher switching costs, which can can ultimately beget some pricing power as time goes on. Um, you know, we look we look at the most recent quarter, and the key performance indicators all all tell 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 a story of, of a business that's that's executing. I mean, total subscriber. Count total subscription customer count was was over sixteen thousand. That was versus fifteen thousand just a quarter ago, and in twelve thousand one hundred a year ago. Um, the total customer count with annual contract value of greater than one hundred thousand dollars was uh, over seven hundred and eighty. That was up from seven hundred and thirty a quarter ago and six hundred and thirty a year ago. And better yet, that growth is actually accelerating. 
And so we're seeing here just a company that is focused on one particular market opportunity. They're executing very well within that market opportunity. Um, and I mean, ultimately, you're talking about a market opportunity that, that all estimates have in the neighborhood of 50 to $75 billion today. Um, Elastic just seems like a business that is poised uh, to continue capturing a lot of that share based on the metrics that we're seeing today. And I mean, when you look at their customers, I mean, these are big customers. These are customers that folks would recognize. I mean, you're talking about companies like Adobe and Shopify, a little company called Microsoft, Etsy, Verizon, Netflix. I mean, Elastic is serving all of these businesses to help them use their data, sift through that data, and make better decisions. Uh, it just, to me, strikes me as a business that's going to become only more relevant here as time goes on. When we were talking on Motley Fool Money, last week and i was asking you and andy cross about what's a stock you would have on a short leash you talked about bill.com just because of yeah. of, of the valuation of bill.com <laughs> elastic's not profitable the stocks you know close to a high that doesn't that doesn't put you off or or do you say all the more reason to have a longer time horizon well, I I would say it is definitely all the more reason to have a longer time horizon. I'm glad you mentioned Bill.com because you know it, Elastic. Yes, it is it is still unprofitable. Uh, stock trading somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 times gross profit today. And I think when we were looking at Bill.com last week for the show, Bill.com on the other hand it was like 150 or something, 150 times gross profit. So there there even there's a discrepancy there that that is pretty. Pretty uh, mind bending. So, so I, I certainly would not call Elastic a a steal or cheap or anything like that. Um, but, but you know, as I've said before, I mean, I think when you look at companies that are really tackling big problems, issues where demand for that solution is high, and I think that that parsing data at the enterprise level is certainly uh, uh, the demand for that is very high. Uh, you, you give them a little bit more leeway to do their thing when it comes to the financials and the valuation. I mean, I think this is a business that does require a much longer uh, term outlook there, but that really plays right into how we invest anyway. So the valuation doesn't trip me up too much today. I think I think it's an indicator that, that the uh, the company is executing well. Um, perhaps it's it's worth buying this one in in thirds as as we talk about. You know, buy a, a little bit today and then uh, buy a little bit later and then maybe a little bit later. You don't have to buy it all at once. Uh, but but yeah, I mean I I can certainly understand the valuation concerns there, but but that certainly seems to be a very widespread problem in today's market. Too. The stock you've got as a no is, uh, well, it does not have the um, quote unquote problem of being at a high. Um, in fact, I'm sure there are some people who look at Fastly, um, which is trading within shouting distance of a 52 week low, and they think, oh, this, you know, Fastly could be a value play right here. Um, why is it not only not a value play for you, it's one where you're like, no, not interested. Because, <laughs> you know, they're in an industry that is a growth industry. It is. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, when we talk about edge networks and, and content delivery networks, I mean, Fastly has been uh, a name uh, that, that has, has bubbled up to the surface uh, for, for many investors for a while. Um, I, I think ultimately, and, and Fastly was a business. It was a business I was interested in for a while. I was looking at Fastly and Cloudflare and trying to, get to trying to come to the conclusion as to which one I, I liked more. And ultimately, as you could guess, I I went with Cloudflare. Fastly to me, this is a business where the thesis has changed. Um, I, I I think that we're looking at a situation here where their technology is proving to not 
be a competitive advantage, and, and in this line of work, it really has to be. Uh, I, I've always had concerns with their usage-based revenue model. Um, I felt like that was very limiting. And when you compared that with a business like Cloudflare, which had adopted not only usage-based, but contractual and subscription offerings, they were meeting their customers on all fronts. Not to mention, they do more things than Fastly does anyway. It's beyond just an edge network. Uh, but but then I mean one of the one of the real tells for me, uh, just about a year and a half ago, founder and CEO Artur Bergman stepped down, and and I that was in the midst of a business that was starting to witness some some headwinds. Right there was the TikTok relationship that dissolved. That was a big contributor to their top line. Uh, and when you fast forward to today, growth has hit a wall. I mean they just recorded fourteen percent top line growth last quarter for a business like this. It's valued the way it is. I mean, again, one of these these newfangled tech companies with no real earnings, and, and, and you know, the, the market is kind of taking a little bit of a greater leap of faith with some of these. I mean, this is one where 14% top line growth ain't going to cut it. Uh, now, part of that is, I think, due to the fact that this this thesis has changed a little bit. I think they are succumbing to some of the competition out there. Businesses like Cloudflare delivering uh, better products and services, uh, but that growth it's it's playing out on the the top and the bottom line there. I mean, margins continue to compress. And so ultimately, when I look at Fastly, I, you know, I I, I want to make sure listeners understand. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that Fastly is going to zero. Okay, that's not what I'm saying here. Um, it it strikes me as a business. It's a company that's in need of a suitor, and it's not totally clear who that would be. We had heard some rumors uh, a time ago that Cisco might be interested. Uh, perhaps they're just waiting for another shoe to drop to see if they could get a better deal. But to me, it's starting to feel like Fastly is a business that's ultimately it's it's looking for a suitor. And and we we've said on this show many times. Yeah, acquisition, it's fine if it happens. Sometimes it's a nice bailout. Uh, you know, d- don't discount that possibility there. But it's not an investing thesis. I wouldn't buy something like a fast lead today based on the idea that it's going to get acquired. It very well may. I think it probably will. Uh, but I think that the competition in this space is ramping up such that uh, given the leadership change and ultimately what I think they're going to have to make a pivot in regard to their revenue model, they're going to have to get away from that usage-based model. I think that does hold them back. But but when you put all of that stuff together, to me, it just it, it feels like the thesis is just has has really changed here, and, and investors need to be aware of that. You look at the twenty five year track record of the acquisitions that Cisco Systems has made, and uh, I guess if you're a shareholder, take comfort in the fact that if they end up buying Fastly, they've overpaid far worse for other businesses <laughs> in, the, in the past couple of decades. Yes. Um, let's let's move on to one that um, when you and I were talking this morning, and you were like, "I'm on the fence on this one." I was like, "Oh my God, so am I," <laughs> which is why I'm I'm really happy and excited to talk to you about Lemonade um, ticker LMND, uh, the insurance business um, is similar to Fast- Fastly's got about a five billion dollar market cap. Lemonade a little smaller, about four point seven billion. This is one I literally have written down on a post-it note with a question mark because <laughs> a lot of people we work with like this business. Uh, are big fans of it, both as consumers and as investors. I am right there with you on the fence. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was, I was, it, it, I got a good, a good chuckle out of that this morning when we were talking about it because I mean, obviously, we did not put our heads together before that meeting, and um, 
it, you're right. It is one that a lot of folks, a lot of folks here at the Fool like. I mean, my partner in crime for a Monday uh, industry focus show, Matt Frankel. He he's a fan. Um, definitely has talked about it a number of times on the show, and 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 I understand that. I mean, I to me, it is it is truly one where I'm just, I'm totally on the fence there. I can't really make up my mind. Um, it, it, and I mean, I, I like the idea in concept, right? I mean, Lemonade is utilizing artificial intelligence and machine learning to ultimately make better decisions. And that really is what the insurance business is all about, making good decisions regarding the business that you write. Um, and, and, and it's a massive market opportunity, right? I mean, worldwide, you're looking at insurance as a $5 trillion industry. Um, and it's one that is very, uh, it's very legacy ridden, right? I mean, it's just one that sort of, they've been doing it the way they've been doing it forever. And it's like, well, why do you do it that way? Well, that's just the way we've always done it. Maybe there is a way to do it better. And, and that seems to be what Lemonade is trying to exploit. Uh, but, but what we've seen certainly throughout our, our time here on these shows and, and with our services here at The Fool is insurance is a very hard business. Um, I mean, it seems simple in concept, but to run in a, an efficient and effective insurer to where you're pleasing your customers, you're making it happen for investors, and, and now, obviously, so many companies focused on, on really ultimately making the world a better place and looking out for all stakeholders, which I think is great. Um, I mean, those are all things that you have to take into consideration. And so, yeah, I mean, when you look at the numbers, I mean, a year ago, in, in the second quarter of 2020, their, their customer base was primarily renters, right? They sold renters insurance. That represented about 75% of the business. And then homeowners accounted for the balance of that. Now, they've done, I think, a tremendous job in diversifying away from that renter base. And so, by the end of the first quarter of 2021, that renter share was down to 56%, with homeowners representing 30%. But then they've also introduced pet insurance. They've introduced life insurance, right? So, you've got pet representing 13% of business last quarter. And they're going to continue to roll out new offerings. Automobile is, is uh, going to be another opportunity for them. And it sounds like customers, for the most part, like the like the interface, like the the brand, right? It seems to be fairly frictionless, easy to access, mobile, digital. Um, those are great things. You look at their business model, on the other hand, and it kind of makes you wonder, at least a little bit, because ultimately, the way they run their business is that they take 75% of the premiums they collect and then they just they purchase reinsurance ultimately to handle the insurance right so they're they're kind of a middleman in that regard uh, the other 25% is set aside to cover operating costs and hopefully generate a profit. They also uh, focus on donating uh, excess funds to charity which is great I think. Um, now when I when I mention that 75% number that to me, you know, I start thinking, okay, well, if they're ultimately depending on on if their business is ultimately depending on purchasing insurance from other insurers, well, then that puts some of the power, a lot of the power, in those other insurers' uh, hands, and they can start to dictate a little bit more pricing uh, as they see fit. Now, the flip side of that is that Lemonade is working to change that. Uh, they did note in their most recent quarter that they are uh, reducing that portion of premium that they see to those reinsurers. And so that 75% number is now more like about 70%. And I think over time, they're ultimately aiming to bring that number down significantly. And that could be good, assuming they know what they're doing. Um, and it's, it seems like they do. But again, insurance is a very hard business. Um, and so, all of that together, it just leaves me with a big 
question mark. I just don't know. And I I just I haven't been able to to really fully make up my mind here. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I take a little bit of solace in the fact that the market as a whole appears to uh, be right there with us because you look at the one-year chart of lemonade it's been as low as $44 it's been as high as $188 yeah so there are a lot of people who are trying to make up their minds about this business <laughs> well and I, I think this could be this could be one of those kind of generational plays right i mean maybe this is maybe this is a concept that's resonating more with the younger audience uh, the the Gen Zers, right, and and beyond. I mean, maybe this is the way insurance starts to work for those younger generations as they come up into the workforce. They start driving, renting, buying homes, and whatnot. Um, I, I mean, that ultimately remains to be seen. But I mean, at the end of the day, it really does seem like it boils down to how good their tech is, the AI and the machine learning. Is that ultimately helping them make better decisions? Because if it does. And they're able to wean themselves off of that reinsurance model. That could work out very well for them. I mean, we've seen good, well-run insurers do very well over long periods of time. I mean, they're wonderful long-term investments. It's just really trying to get a grip on whether these guys have the staying power, the brand equity, uh, and ultimately the technology to to be able to disrupt what has obviously been a very difficult uh, industry to disrupt to this point. Before we wrap up, our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got an email from Charles who writes, new to the show and very new to investing. I'm wondering if it makes sense to invest in two or more companies that provide the same product or service. For example, Volta and ChargePoint. I'm a big fan of Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money. You all provide a wealth of information. It is much appreciated. Thanks. P.S. I must have the man behind the glass DJ my next shindig. The music selection on Motley Fool Money <laughs> is second to none. Uh, yeah, I can't help but agree. Um, <laughs> and we've gotten so many email and tweets uh, over the last year about the the bumper music that Dan Boyd picks for for Motley Fool Money. Um, by the way, Volta, uh, you know, interesting timing on Charles' email. I I, I got a. Uh, a press release sent to me this morning about Volta just um, striking a deal with Six Flags amusement oh, wow. park. So now they're they're going to be Volta is going to be the charging station at Six Flags. Um, uh, you know, I don't know about you. The, I mean, the first thing I thought when I saw Charles' email was the war on cash basket. The second thing I thought was of the two, you know, two of the more recent stocks I just bought are head-to-head competitors: Home Depot and Lowe's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I so the short answer to the question is yes. I mean, I, I like this idea, um, particularly when the market opportunity seems really, really big. And so you said it. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind, uh, of course, is the war on cash basket. I mean, that's ultimately why we built that thing in the first place, right? I mean, you and I were sitting there talking market foolery uh, after market foolery about how well all of these companies in these payments industry uh, were doing. And, uh, and, and so it didn't make sense to really try to pick one winner when it was pretty apparent there were going to be a number of winners. Um, and so when the market opportunity seems like it's pretty big, uh, that's why I think this this strategy works out even better. And and just same same uh, point with your your Home Depot and Lowe's example there, but just a massive market opportunity in housing. Um, now now not speaking particularly to these two businesses, uh, Volta and ChargePoint, I think was it, mm-hmm. um, I, because I haven't dug into these businesses. But from what I can gather, they are. They they ultimately are are building charging stations right. They're they're facilitating the electrification of our of our transportation industry. 
which is ultimately a very good thing. I mean, I think Tesla gets all of the headlines, but we have to recognize the fact that Tesla is not going to own this market 100%. I mean, they're going to be one of, I think, a number of companies that help us ultimately make this transition. So, it seems to me uh, to be an attractive market opportunity. Um, and that's where it may make sense to consider owning a couple or three or four of the businesses that you think are really going to lead the charge, uh, so to speak. No pun intended. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, investing is rarely a zero-sum game. I mean, we like to kind of make it sound that way when we're talking about these businesses because we're bullish or bearish or we're picking one over another. But the fact of the matter is that investing is rarely a zero-sum game. And I, too, own a number of companies that, you know, on the surface, maybe they compete with each other to an extent, but they are really playing in ultimately what is a very large sandbox. So, to me, that is a very sensible strategy. Let me just go back to two companies we talked about earlier in the show, uh, Fastly and Cloudflare. I mean, if yeah. you if you went back a year and said, "Okay, cybersecurity, I, I'm going to buy a basket of stocks," and you picked those two along with Datadog and CrowdStrike, you know, that's a basket that, as a group, is doing very well. Now, Fastly is down about forty percent. Uh, CrowdStrike has doubled in the past year. Datadog up seventy percent. Cloudflare up nearly 300%. But again, you take the basket approach, uh, you got three winners that, you know, dull the pain of, of seeing Fastly <laughs> down 40%. Yeah, yeah, it can help you catch a few more winks at night, and that's a good thing. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.